Hello and welcome to the Friday, January 7th, 2022, New Year, Same Old Us edition of On Iowa Politics. Support provided by New Pioneer Food Co-op, celebrating 50 years as Eastern Iowa's source for locally and responsibly sourced groceries, with stores in Iowa City, Coralville, and Cedar Rapids, and online through Co-op Cart at newpi.coop. As Charles Dickens might have written if he were alive in 2021, it was the worst of times. A poll of a thousand <laughs> Americans found that 53% said 2021 was the worst year of their lives so far. There was a generational difference with 66% of millennials calling 2021 a bad year. 62% of Gen Zers and 43% of Gen Xers agreed 2021 was not the best of times. Boomers, however, disagreed entirely. You think 2021 was rough? Let me tell you. <laughs> but despite their feelings for the past year, 70% had hopes that 2022 will be better. That seems to be <laughs> okay, a boomer. pretty low bar. <laughs> and speaking of setting a low bar, this week on Iowa, on Iowa Politics, we'll be looking at the coming legislative session, as well as talking about the January 6th anniversary <laughs> and the race for the Democratic gubernatorial nomination. Hi, I'm James Lynch from the Cedar Rapids Gazette. And with me today is Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, James. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Aaron Murphy, who got a new uniform for Christmas. He's now State House Bureau Chief for the Gazette after seven years in that role for Lee Newspapers. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. And speaking of uniforms, good morning, college basketball fans in Iowa, too. (laughs) 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 And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. (laughs) (laughs) You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics wherever you find your podcast. First up, one year later. A year after the deadliest attack on the nation's capital since the British invaded Washington in 1814, the nation paused to observe the anniversary of the January 6th insurrection. Speaking in statutory hall, President Joe Biden said, now let us step up, write the next chapter in American history where January 6th marks not the end of democracy, but the beginning of a renaissance of liberty and fair play. Todd, is January 6th over? Um, Are we at that renaissance? Uh, well, it's it's not over. And I mean, for one thing, you still got uh, a bipartisan committee in Congress investigating the attack. You've got hundreds of prosecutions moving forward of, of rioters who, who took part. Uh, but also, you know, it, basically January 6th was sort of the most horrific moment in, a, in an ongoing effort to discredit the the 2020 election and to argue that somehow Joe Biden stole it through fraud, which has been fraud claims that have been rejected at basically every level, but still a pretty solid majority of Republicans and especially Trump supporters still believe the election was stolen. And that's the argument that brought people to the, to the Capitol on January 6, 2021 uh, year of our Lord. And, uh, <laughs> and, and that continues to, continues to motivate Trump supporters and also motivate politicians who, you know, are Trump supporters. I think the Washington Post reported the other day that I think there are 163 Republicans who believe the election were sto- was stolen, who are running for statewide offices that have influence over 
you know, counting votes, which is, which is sort of a troubling development. Uh, but it, you know, and we've also seen all of these efforts at the state level to further restrict voting. And in some states we've seen, uh, bills that put partisans in, in more positions of control over counting and certifications and all of those things. So the fear is that, you know, January 6th was sort of act one in an effort to, uh, eventually undermine the 2024 election. If, Donald Trump runs and to uh, basically, you know, do a, a less, you know, a less, uh, more of a quiet insurrection where you basically throw out votes and, and decertify uh, panels of electors and, and end up handing the presidency to someone that didn't win the most votes, electoral or popular. So, yeah, as part of this ongoing drama, it's 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 not over. Not to take anything away from Joe Biden, but if stealing a presidential election was so easy, wouldn't people have done this before Joe Biden came along? I mean, just say it. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I think that I think what makes it troubling is that you know our last two elections have been decided by a fairly you know not a huge number of votes in a in a handful of states. So if you can you know, if you can sort of put people in charge in some of those states that are going to be more willing to, you know, buy false accusations of fraud and throw out votes, then you could actually, you could actually turn an election, you know, the other direction. I think that's the fear. Aaron, what's been the impact of January 6th here in Iowa? I mean, how has it changed the Iowa political landscape? Well, the one tangible way it's it's affected it is, um, and and they didn't go quite as far as some of the things that are were attempted in other states that Todd's there described, but there there were some um, elections law changes here in Iowa that were, um, you know, the, the the legislators here were careful to not draw a direct line from, um, you know, January sixth to. Um, um, the, the bills that they pushed, but um, they were passed under the guise of there's a lack of confidence in elections out there and, and we're going to do what we can to make elections secure um, so that, that there is more confidence in, in those elections. So, so, so we have new, uh, again, voting laws and, and uh, restrictions in particular on early voting um, that were, were passed. Um, you know, under the guise of election security, um, as a result of the 2020 election. Um, so that's the one thing. And, and then I think there still is that, you know, just like everywhere else in this country, there is, there is that element within, um, Iowa politics, including some, um, state legislators, including one who's running for the Senate against Chuck Grassley, um, and Jim Carlin, who, um, will will espouse that uh, that the election uh, was fraudulent in in, in uh, whatever way um and so so uh so i was um uh, no different than the rest of the country uh, in a lot of ways here and in fact uh, um bless our hearts we were uh on the front lines of that day uh, literally uh, one of the first people arrested in in those attacks and one of the individuals in some of those most harrowing videos was a was a, a man from Iowa. So, um, 
just there's always an Iowa angle, and unfortunately, that's true in this case too. Definitely, yeah. Uh, Jim Carlin, as you mentioned uh, in remarks on the Senate floor, said that most of the Republicans in the Senate believe uh, that Joe Biden, you know, is not a legitimate president; that uh, he stole the election, which um, is sort of scary to to think that the legislators don't have any confidence in uh, the outcome, I guess. Um, Amy, we've got another election coming up um, in November. Uh, Will that help us get past January 6th, or is it more likely to escalate the tensions and differences um, that January 6th exposed? Oh, man. I don't know if I can make a prediction either way. I think it's going to depend on a couple of factors. I think, um, one, are you actually going to see... um, the Congress passed the, the what they're calling the For the People Act, um, which would um, undo kind of some of these uh, red state laws that have proliferated, including in Iowa that Aaron talked about, um, because that could potentially um, sort of change the way that the people are allowed to vote and therefore maybe let more people vote. Um, the, the consensus is if you let more people vote, for example, absentee and things like that, you get more Democrats to the polls. Um, if that passes and then that goes through, that that might be um, a big difference in 2022. Um, the other thing is, are we going to see no difference? And then the worst fears of, of Democrats, um, which is um, basically minority enshrined rule. So are, are Republicans going to take enough control via um, gerrymandering in some states, via um, you know different voting laws, that will then um, ensure that Republicans have safe seats, or at least enough Republicans have safe seats that um, they're able to take um, statewide elections, they're able to take congressional elections. And then how do you undo that, right? So then that's enshrined in law. Then you've got these state laws that have been there for at least a year, at least a couple years. And then going forward to 2024, then it really becomes a question of, okay, can you get maybe national voting legislation passed or has that window expired because you've got that 50-50 split in the Senate? So it's it'll really be an interesting election. Um, I know they always say this is a really pivotal election, but this could be on this topic a really pivotal election. <laughs> the most important election of our lives. That's right. Every two years. Always. It's Most very important. tiring. It's very tiring. But uh, <laughs> just wondering, what will January 6th, 2023 look like? Hmm. I mean, will we have an observance? Uh, Will the president speak? Will, or um, do you think there's a, people will say, let's, let's, you know, forget it. Will it it be 9-11 going forward kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, maybe 10 year, on the 10 year anniversary. Yeah. The milestones maybe. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. All right. Moving right along here. The Iowa legislature will return to the State House Monday to begin what's supposed to be a 100-day session. We've heard a lot of talk about a moonshot on income taxes, as well as a lengthy list from legislators. Aaron, it seems like this is uh, the visit to Santa's workshop when the kids list all the things they want for Christmas. Come Monday, uh, will some of them be celebrating, but others, Democrats in particular, going to be finding lumps of coal on their desk at the Capitol? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I I mean I think uh it's it's safe to um predict uh how much Democrats will get 
uh, of what they want uh, versus uh, the majority Republicans. Um, it's it's going to be uh, an interesting session. It, at the very least, I, I feel like going into this session, um, I have a better handle um, as someone who's going to be watching and reporting on this place uh, of what to expect than I have in maybe the last session or two. And I don't know if that's coincidence or just a circumstance or what, but I I remember kind of coming into the last session or two, uh, kind of thinking, boy, I, you know, the Republicans and their majorities, they've they've done pretty much everything they want to. I, I don't know what they have left, and was didn't have a great idea of what um, they might be doing. Um, this session, it, it, I think, is pretty clear. There's going to be a big debate about tax cuts. Um, there's going to be a big debate about K-12 education policy um, and, and the parental involvement in those policies. Um, and, 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 and those are going to be two of the major themes uh, throughout this uh, session, I think. So I feel like I have a little better handle of, of um, what to expect. There's, there'll still be the unexpected, um, of course, that that's what comes with every session. But uh, those are the two of the kind of the biggest arching uh, things I expect to be hearing a lot about this over the next couple months. I think we, we, we've learned in politics that, that there's always more uh, to go after, uh, e even when you, you know, when people like us are saying, like, what's left, uh, <laughs> right. the, the politicians see more things out there that they want to get done. Um, and, and it seems like, I mean, with Republican control again this year, that there's no reason that they won't push um, harder on their agenda to complete everything, uh, to go after everything they want. Um, Aaron, do you think that that might be limited just by um, Republicans that haven't been willing to pass legislation um, with Democratic votes, unless they have a majority um, with their own caucus, they, they typically don't put things up for a vote. Um, so their agenda might be limited by disagreement within the Republican caucuses, um, you know, or between the House and the Senate Republicans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a good point. The, the one exception I will say to that is if they draw up something in their in their tax cut plan that somehow Democrats can get on board with, um, um, they're not gonna, you know, hold off on that just because uh, they got Democrats coming on board too. Now, the way that's headed, it sounds like that's not gonna be a <laughs> something they're gonna have to worry about either. It 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 sounds like pretty much from the start of this that uh, Democrats are expecting a a, a a proposal that they're not going to like. Um, maybe that'll change, but it, um, it, it looks like they're bracing themselves for something that they'll they'll argue should look differently. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think that's a, a, a fair observation. Um, and, and it'll be interesting to see, uh, although, you know, like the, the, the things that I the, the kind of the big ticket items I talked about earlier, um, Republicans are going to go about those in in a way that very few to no Democrats are going to support. Um, just talked about uh, the tax proposals, uh, even more so on K twelve education. I, I, I just knowing what uh, Republicans are are planning, um, it's not going to be something that Democrats will will support. Um, and so I, I don't think that's something for right. the most part Republicans have to worry 
about anyway. And, and the only one that might have been an exception to that is if they had been willing to go after the um, the sales tax and the and the natural resources um, trust fund. Uh, but it doesn't sound like uh, Republicans have any plan of of tackling that one. And I guess the other possible exception would be the governor's ethanol mandate proposal. Um, if the sides come together on that. Um, that could be something significant that has both Republican and Democratic signatures on it. Yeah, yeah. The the, the few rural Democrats uh, may be able to support that, that but right. uh, they're sort of an endangered species anymore. Amy, um, what are you hearing from lawmakers in your area? Mo- most of the Blackhawk County, Cedar Valley uh, lawmakers are Democrats. Um, are they expecting they're going to be actively involved in discussions or... Or are they just going to be watching from the sidelines? Well, I don't think they'd, they'd want to characterize it as they're going to be just watching from the sidelines. Um, in a legislative forum, you know, last month when, when they were talking about it, they're, they're very much, they know that they're the underdog. You know, they know that they're there um, not to get legislation that they come up with passed, but to get the worst of the worst legislation not passed, basically. So that's kind of their... Um, you know, mantra going forward, I think, again, into this next year, which is going to look exactly the same. Um, They've got some priorities. Um, When I was talking to Ross Smith after he, you know, dropped out, um, he was talking about his priorities in the legislature. Um, So one of the things was he wants to continue to fight for probation reform. Um, He wants to fight for marijuana legislation. He wants to pass fair chance legislation at the state level. Um, Waterloo passed this, uh, otherwise known as ban the box um, he wants to help educators, which Bob Kressig has said that's a big priority for Democrats um, this year, um, basically allowing students to learn, allowing educators to teach free of interference and threats. They want to try to stop some of these more divisive political bills that they say make Iowa look unwelcoming. Um, on the other side, um, I talked to Sandy Salmon last year, and I haven't checked back in, but last year she was very adamant that she does want to pass this Save Women's Sports Act. Um, which basically um, tells uh, girls and boys in the school level that um, you can only be in a sport that uh, matches your gender at birth. So I think that she's also looking for some of these, um, you know, different bills as well that are being passed in in different red states too. Um, But I think Republicans in general are are keeping an eye on that, um, you know, the income tax bill that Aaron was talking about. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, but you're right. Democrats are definitely, once again, you know, sort of, the underdog and, and playing interference. Todd, I, I know you're an optimist when it comes to Christmas moonshots in the legislature. Uh, <laughs> how are you planning to spend the money you'll save by not paying income taxes? Well, I'm, I'm probably going to have to spend it at the, uh, you know, the, the various large bake sales that will be needed to fund my <laughs> local school district. So that's, uh, that's my plan at this point. Uh, I mean, I, I love a good baked good. So, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> cookies, cinnamon rolls, maybe sticky buns. <laughs> there you so go. That's what I'm going to do. We're, we're going to have to fund that school somehow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, parental involvement is a good thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and one thing I was also going to add is it's interesting in the la- in a few, last few weeks, we've seen sort of a little bit of softening of rhetoric on some of these issues, like, you know, throwing teachers in jail for books in the library has now become, uh, you know, we're going to have more transparency for parents so that they'll know what's in the library. And, you know, the, uh, oh, what was the other issue the uh, that they've softened up on? Well, yeah, the trans, the, the 
not allowing transgender girls to play sports. Uh, they're talking now about, you know, off, instead of a ban, they're talking about offering guidance to school <laughs> districts. So, you know, it, one of two things is happening. You know, this, is this maybe cooler heads prevailing? That would that would be nice for a change. Uh, but it, all, it may also be that they're kind of walking this back a little bit to keep their opposition off balance. And then, you know, then they can, you know, introduce a bill, pass it in a week and get it signed before, you know, opposition is able to mobilize against it, which we've seen multiple times. So I, I don't think cooler heads are going to prevail, but I, I could be wrong. It just, you just don't, sometimes you do see it, but not, not all the time at the, at the state house. There's been an old, I don't know, maxim uh, in politics that you don't, you don't do anything too controversial in an election year. Um, has that changed? I mean, with trifecta control, with uh, how partisan politics have become, uh, with Iowa going, getting redder and redder, does it really matter? I mean, maybe uh, in terms of re-election, you're better off to do something, you know, that that is controversial and that the other party will scream about. Maybe, maybe it helps Republicans get elected. Well, I think it helps, uh, you know, amp up their base, mm-hmm. you know, some of this stuff. Uh, I mean, they, they benefit, it's, it's, and legislative campaigns aren't what they used to be. I mean, you know, the, these, these candidates aren't going to, aren't going to forums. They're not, you know, they're not holding public events where they might get criticized for what they vote for. It's kind of, I mean, they're not meeting with editorial boards. They're, I mean, there's just this all, there's really no place anymore where they're going to feel heat over some of this stuff. And so they'll camp, you know, the legislative session will adjourn and they'll do what they always do is, you know, they'll campaign on, we want good schools and, you know, all this stuff that's non-controversial and that's what their mailers will look like. And, and, and then they'll have ads, you know, making their opponents look sort of a little more dark and sinister and call them radical socialists. And, and then we'll, you know, then we'll go on from there. It's just the campaigns aren't substantive. There aren't really forums now where they're going to have to face the music for, for taking some of these votes. So, yeah, I don't, I mean, I think amping up the base at this point is probably uh, one of their objectives. Now, you know, with the transgender legislation, they, they get a lot of pushback from business groups, economic development organizations, because they don't want to see Iowa, you know, lose business and tournaments and conventions yeah. because of this, you know, discriminatory legislation. So that's been able to hold so far, but I'm not, I'm not sure it's going to hold again this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's always encouraging to hear legislators talk about transparency because they set such good examples um, uh, of being transparent that it, it sort of gives me confidence. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's transparency totally a glass for house. you, but not for me. <laughs> for the, <laughs> And then there was one. Waterloo Representative Ross Smith called it quits this week, ending his bid for the Democratic nomination for governor. Iowa Democratic Party Chairman Ross Wilborn, who was the first black Democratic candidate for Ross governor. Ross Smith. No, uh, Ross Wilburn was the first black Democratic candidate for governor. Um, 
He ran a short campaign. Four years ago. Yeah. I got you. Now. Said he <laughs> un- understood the challenges Smith faced and was disappointed to lose his voice in the primary. Amy, you've been following Smith's campaign, and, and he started with high hopes, as every candidate does. What happened uh, that he's dropped out of the race? He said he really became disillusioned, I think. Um, so he, he he did start with high hopes. Um but he said there were there were a couple different issues, and one of them was um, he had to sort of build an independent infrastructure that he that could really support itself, and and that became difficult. He said when um, he wasn't able to tap into the state party's sort of traditional donor network, um, so that sort of really frustrated him. Um, he thinks the state party is in a rebuilding phase. He's probably not wrong about that. Um, and that's also been an issue. You know, if, if your state party isn't really even able to support itself, how can it support, um, you know, these these candidates that are that are trying to, you know, maybe come from backgrounds where they're not well known or come from cities like Waterloo, where they're they're not in that Des Moines center of the scene. Um, so, yeah, he ran into a lot of those difficulties and, and he was pretty honest about it. I think, um, you know, he still wants to do some good work in the legislature. Um, so he's still trying to, you know, find his path there. I think he's doing good work with the Legislative Black Caucus. He's able to, you know, get some legislation in there. But yeah, unfortunately, he was thinking it was just not being able to tap into that donor network, um, you know, whether the party was giving money to Dieter DeGier, whether um, it was sort of holding out for Rob Sand, um, whether it still is maybe holding out for a Rob Sand or or he just wasn't able to make those connections that he needed to make. It could have been a mixture of those. Aaron, as Amy mentioned, Smith was frustrated by sort of the process of running and, and uh, um, tapping into donors. Um, I mean, it seemed like the fundraising part of the campaign was a real challenge for him. Um you talk to him about that. I mean, can you expand on that? I mean, is, I mean, is this, to put it bluntly, is this just code for saying they aren't supporting a black candidate uh, or is it just that they're not, you know, they're looking at the, the polling numbers and saying this isn't the year to invest in a gubernatorial candidate? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think it's more of the latter than the former there. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll address both um, to, to are, are the donors just not ready to back a, a black candidate in Iowa? I don't get the sense that that was what he was saying, or that was the issue he ran into because if, if, and this is my reading, so it's entirely possible I'm wrong. Um, I'll, I'll just put that out there. This isn't um, something he said to me, but my reading of it was that, um, Deidre DeGier is having success with these donors and in particular the ones that are, um, you know, have the resources to sustain a camp, a statewide campaign. And, and he was not. So, so I don't think, and obviously Deidre is a a black woman from Des Moines, um, a previous statewide candidate. So I don't think it was that, um, he did touch on the the latter part of your question there about um he he said something about um you know a handful of people deciding which candidates are uh should be successful and he said which races are worth investing in um so it sounds like he was running into that he was running into people saying look i'm not i'm just not gonna drop money on this race which which uh, uh, suggests obviously that they don't think it's a race that Democrats uh, can win. They'd rather put their money into um, maybe, 
you know, Christina Bohannon or Liz Mathis races um, uh, for Congress over in Eastern Iowa uh, or Cindy Axney. Um, so, so I do think that that what part of it was something that he did run into, which again speaks to this whole kind of broader thing that we've talked about. It's just a very interesting dynamic out there right now that where, I mean, Kim Reynolds won by a whopping 2.8 percentage points four years ago. And yet here we are, um, after a pandemic and then workforce issues and all these things that, um, uh, an opponent could raise and, and apparently democratic candidates didn't see blood in the water because there was no mad rush to run and and apparently now it sounds like democratic donors don't see any blood in the water right now it's just very interesting to me wilburn was asked about this uh thursday during the democrats news conference and he sort of tactfully pushed back telling reporters a statewide race is a lot different than running for a district or a city council down at the local level and he also said there there's a lot of generous donors out there Todd uh, Smith's challenge any different than any other candidate? Um, and I guess how much of this should we blame on the donor network and how much responsibility does a candidate have to sort of go out and sell themselves, uh, make oh, the case yeah. that they're a good investment? Yeah, I think, I mean, it, we've seen campaigns in the past that, that couldn't raise enough money to move forward. I think the thing that's different here, and, and I talked to Smith uh, before Christmas, and Basically, I think what's different is that he he couldn't he couldn't get uh, you know sort of the historic donor network people that you know generally give to Democratic campaigns he couldn't even get them to re- return his phone calls, which I think is interesting. I mean, it's one thing to not give a bunch of money to a candidate, but it's entirely another to not even meet a candidate and hear what he has to say. And I think that's where 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 you start getting into some uh, you know, you know, some, I think it's the kind of thing that maybe Democrats need to sort of pause and, and take in, because I think, you know, this is a, this is a state lawmaker who was, you know, named a, a rising star in the party at their hall of fame dinner a few years ago. He's, he's received all sorts of accolades and awards from, from various democratic organizations for the work he's done in the legislature. I mean, his, his legislative resume is pretty strong. And I mean, he's, he's done some, some good things. He led the charge on getting some police reforms passed, you know, in, in 2020. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of lawmakers that have run for governor that don't have the credentials that he has. And so, not getting your phone calls returned, having a resume like he does, it's just kind of odd that, you know, that that he couldn't gain traction. And maybe it's not that odd because of the barriers that I think that, you know, a black candidate faces in a state like Iowa that other candidates don't. So this is something that Democrats need to take stock of because it's it's a it's a bad look. Amy, uh, any idea what's next for Smith? Uh, he's in a legislative district with another Democratic incumbent. Um, is there another district where he could run, um, or does he have other opportunities? I'm looking at the map now, and it's potential that he could move um, not very far and, and potentially uh, challenge someone there. But, yeah, it's it's kind of closing in. I think it will come down to probably he and Timmy having a conversation about that. And I asked him about that, and I know Aaron asked him about that. And, and you know, he's just sort of being, you know, cautious right now and coy about it. You know, oh, I'm focused on, you know, the legislative session, which – 
which definitely is is a thing. But obviously he has to, you know, he and Timmy have to make that decision on what they're going to run against each other, whether one of them, more likely one of them is going to cede the seat to the other. Um, So that'll sort of be the hard conversation I think that'll have to come in, unless he really wants to move, you know, to Mm -hmm. Cedar Falls or the country, you know, he's pretty much got those options. That's it. Doesn't his family have a farm in Grundy County or somewhere? So. Yeah, there there is a farm. I'm not exactly sure where the farm is at, but yeah, 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 that's possible. Um, that would be a whole different set of voters, though. Yeah. So, for sure. rural Democratic rural outreach there. Yes. Yes. Well, Politico did a poll, and one of the questions they asked was, "What words would you like to hear less in 2022?" Not surprisingly, COVID was one of the top two. The other was Trump. Fortunately, there's a vaccine for one of those. So as we contemplate the end of the uh, contemplate the year ahead of us, what words would you like to hear less often? Words that should be expunged from our conversations, so as not to trigger bad memories of 2021. Mm. Amy, anything on your uh, list of words? Just COVID. Just, COVID. <laughs> just, just please, let's not say, oh, flu Rona. Let's not get that in 2022. <laughs> yeah. Aaron, any words you want to hear less? Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, uh, again, two two plus years into this, and I'm still forgetting to unmute sometimes. Amazing. <laughs> That's what I want to hear less. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. You're uh, on mute. Oops, 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 sorry, unmute. There we go. I'm going with that. Unmute. That's what. <laughs> And Todd? <laughs> well, I mean, this is this is one of those moments when you you, you wish you'd read all the way to the end of the script. <laughs> <laughs> because I am, have been caught very much flat-footed. So, uh, <laughs> on the fly, Todd. Yeah, well, I mean, COVID's a good one. Uh, you know, that's... That's I think the it's, it's hard to top that and and yeah. I do agree with with Trump but geez that's you know that's not going to happen so <laughs> <laughs> I just hope we don't get to like you know have to learn more of the Greek alphabet how about that you know there we go yeah let's, let's just go. hold at Omicron let's very, not, very, yeah variant let's variant let's not let's not get to like one. let's not get to like Upsilon or something like that or. God forbid, Omega. Yeah, I was just going to say, if we get to Omega, we're really in trouble. <laughs> if we get to Omega, we have to start naming the viruses like hurricanes. <laughs> well, Virus <this> pod- Helen. <laughs> yeah. Virus Karen. Oh. <laughs> you know that's the bad one. The Karen variant has infected many of us. <laughs> well, in terms of this podcast, we've reached Omega. So uh, <laughs> for today, if you enjoy the podcast, tell a friend and s- subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Send your fan mail to podcast at thegazette.com. Don't forget to the work of everyone you heard today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, the Waterloo City Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and Cedar Rapids Gazette. Natalie Brown will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics. For Aaron, Amy, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Be well. <laughs>